Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we have an amazing show planned for you. We're going to cover a lot of ground. Everything from talking about some ridiculous things going on in the world. At the end of the show, we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean. You guys sent me some amazing questions. Can't wait to answer those. And my guest tonight, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you have to live with a loss, with someone that you love? And in this case tonight, a couple of people that you love are no longer with you. How do you pick up the pieces and continue to move? How do you find joy in the midst of life, a life, mind you, shrouded in grief? And what do you really know about grieving? Has anybody ever taught you how to grieve? and what one should do and what we ought to do when we've lost someone. And it's the case that people grieve differently. See, we never have these conversations. People just tell you to keep going and lift your head up and the Lord will make a way somehow. Listen, if you've ever lost anybody, you know, it can break your spirit into a million pieces. And there you are in the wee hours of the night trying to piece yourself back together. My guest tonight knows that journey. You're about to hear her journey, her story, her heart, and her hope. All of it bound up in one conversation. You picked the right night to be here. But welcome to the show, my guest, Shanti Das. Hey, Shanti. Hey, how are you? I am glad to see you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. It really is an honor and a pleasure and congratulations on all of your success. Thank you. See, I like Shanti. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, this, this I, let me preface everything by saying, I know this will not be an easy conversation for you, but I also know that you allowing us to listen in to some of your pain and your heart will bless us. And so, I want you to know that I know that this is a sacred conversation, that this is a significant conversation, and I will honor it with my attention and all of the compassion and love that I can extend. So just know that going in, okay? That means a lot. Thank you so much. I feel like it's a safe space. Good, good, good. That's important. All right. Um, so you've lost three important people in your life. Yeah, um, two of them in very short order. For everybody out there who has not lost anybody or not lost anybody recently, tell us what losing 
your mother, your sister, and your father, how has it impacted and changed your life? It's a great question. So first off, I'll say my father actually died by suicide when I was seven months old. And some people would say, oh, well, you know, you were a baby, you didn't know. Doesn't matter. That's still my father. Once I got old enough to realize that I would no longer have a dad or have an opportunity to grow up with a dad and him being a girl dad or me being, you know, a daddy's girl, if you will, uh, something I always longed for, it really broke my spirit. And when I found out how he died by suicide, a gunshot wound to the head, that even you know, further sent me into sadness. And so as a young girl, I was angry, really angry. You know, it's different stages of grief and we can talk about that later, but anger is one of the stages of grief. And I was angry at my dad, particularly for not being there and especially for dying by suicide. And then fast forward to my sister who passed away in 2019, um, it was so unexpected. Um, she was on vacation in Cancun with her family and we believe, because it's been a lot of conflicting reports, um, but we believe it was a, a blood clot that led to a stroke because she was probably gone in like 15, 20 minutes. And I had talked to her and just texted with her at 10 o'clock that night and she passed mm -hmm. around 3.30 in the morning. That was the worst thing that I've ever experienced in my life. And quite honestly, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It was wow. really, really awful. And for my mother, uh, my mother passed away earlier this year at the end of January. And that was, of course, traumatic. It's my mom. But my mother had developed Alzheimer's and she had been living with Alzheimer's for the last, I don't know, 14, 15 years. And so it's interesting. We talk about grief. We think it's just when something happens instantly. But grief also can happen over time, right? Or it could be the loss of a job or the loss mm -hmm. of a relationship. But with my mom, I felt like I had been grieving for the last 12, 13 years with her having Alzheimer's, grieving the mom that I knew and having to get to know this mom and be at peace with where she was so that I could cherish the time that she had left with me. Mm, wow. I mean, that was quite an introduction, you know, to your life and to your story. Um, a lot of people watching tonight don't know the answer to the question I'm about to ask you, but you should know that I know the answer to this question because I've lived it. But tell everybody what it feels like to be a motherless child. Ooh. feel like an orphan now because my mom and my dad are gone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my mom was everything to me. And even when she had developed the Alzheimer's and, you know, she was in a facility and I became her caregiver and, you know, we had our things like she wore lipstick, which is why I honor her and wear lipstick now. But being a motherless child, it feels like somebody just ripped out my stomach or punched a, a serious, you know, hole in my stomach and something that I can never repair. Um, it's just a void that's always there. And and again, being without a father and a mother and my sister is just really my brother and I, when you think about our immediate family, of course, we have extended family members and I have nieces and nephews, but I feel like, I feel like my family's gone and it's really a tough feeling. The only thing that keeps me going at times is my faith in God and not to impose my faith on anyone, but I find myself on my knees. I find myself crying in the middle of the night. Um, and I just, my sister's birthday was last week and, and that was tough for me and uh, my mom's birthday is coming up 
on November 9th and it's going to be my first birthday without her and that was always our thing celebrating her birthday and it's just a really tough feeling and so I feel like I'm somewhere still in the like the second and third phase I'm in denial and anger still about my mom not being here and, and Mother's Day was really tough um anybody out there that has lost a mom and you know you know you see tv ads and flowers everywhere and people posting on social media and brunches with their mom and it, it hurts it really hurts mm. but again god is, is is good and he is faithful and that's what keeps me going at times you know I, I found when my mom passed away and even this happened to me literally last night just the most random things make me think about her i saw a date on the tv and I started imagining how old she was on that date. <laughs> Does that happen to you? All the time. It, it is the little things. I mean, again, my mom, when I'm getting my nails done, I think of my mom. Uh, she was, you know, intense about keeping her nails done and having that lipstick on. So every little thing, or even just, you know, how Facebook or your phone will pull up memories of pictures. And I could cry at the drop of a dime when I see a photo of my mom. And that, that's just because we love them. We, we love our loved ones dearly and deeply. And so we never really think about being on this earth without them. But you know, the truth is we all have an expiration date. I hate to say it like that, but it is not as easy trying to get through it when you're in that valley. Um, and the key with grieving is being able to go through the grief process. And I, and I tell everyone this grief is an individual journey. I really don't like, I know when people, you know, try to show up for you and comfort you and give you advice, sometimes they just don't know the right things to say. And I think more than anything, when we lose loved ones, and especially those that are close to us, sometimes we just need somebody to be there and just sit and listen, let us talk, let us vent, let us reminisce, but we don't necessarily need you to fix us because we have to go through the grief process. Everybody individually has to go through the grief process. And once you can get past that debilitating feeling and part of the grief process, then you can start celebrating the life of your loved ones. Yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, because grief in this way is a lot like love. By this, I mean, there is no hiding place. You cannot hide from yourself in the arms of other people, and you cannot hide from your grief in the compassion of other people. You just have to go through it. And I'm glad you mentioned that, because as I listen to your story, when you were talking about your sister and then your mom, I was thinking, did you even have time to grieve sufficiently for your sister? Not really, um, because it was so unexpected and because my mom was starting to decline, you know, I became the sole caregiver right after that. And then the pandemic hit. Mm. And I'll tell you, that was hard being sometimes isolated and by myself and having to sit in those feelings and not being able to physically find a grief support group or not physically being able to go into church, even though I did virtual church and not being able to be around elders in my family, you know, in the extended family. And it was, it was one of the toughest things I've ever gone through. And I never thought that I, you know, my sister would often joke. She was like, you never know. I might go before you. And I'd be like, girl, whatever, mm. ne never. And, and even, you know, hard even looking at her picture. Um, Mm. worst thing that ever happened to me um and i miss her i miss everything about her we talked five six times tell a me day. about hold on t t shanti hold on tell me about her what what kind of person was she's like 
my sister was one one of the smartest people that I've ever met. So when my our dad died, she was she's eight and a half years older than me, and so she often would say, "I grew up at the age of nine because my mother leaned on her a lot." Mm. My dad died because my mom had to work nights, so my sister, you know, was my big sister. But as we got older, she became my best friend. She became my confidant. She put herself through college. She went to therapy. She broke the cycle of not going to therapy in our family and put herself through uh, therapy, um, I mean, through college and, and went to therapy when she was in college. She became a CPA. She was one of the highest ranking women at Arthur Anderson um, in Houston, Texas. And then she actually went back to school right before she passed away. She had gotten a master's of counseling to become a licensed professional counselor and she was going to do therapy. And we were like these sister warriors in mental health. and. I mean, we did everything together. I spent every holiday, every Thanksgiving. That's another thing that's really tough. You know, we always talk about the holiday blues. And so you add grief on top of that. Really a tough time processing the loss of loved ones around the holidays because everything, you know, tends to remind you of your loved one. But we yeah. were as close as sisters could get. Oftentimes, yeah. I, my, my brother-in-law, I would say, oh, I know he is tired of me calling. He's like, what are y'all talking about? Didn't you just call like an hour ago? <laughs> you know, we were extremely close. You, you know, Shanti, um, John, put, put the photo up again of Shanti and her sister. And when, when you see this photo, when you see the two of you together, what comes to your heart? What comes to your, to your spirit? Yeah, I love her. And I miss her every day. Mm. And that there's sometimes, if I'm honest, it's hard to do life without her. Because when I almost took my own life in 2015, she was there for me. Mm. She convinced me to get the help that I needed, um, which is why I do work in mental health now. And you know how there are people that can complete your sins? Because I'm not married and I don't have children. So I put a lot of my life into my sister's life. Mm. And there, you know, oftentimes I would just call her and she would just say, what's wrong? Just from the tone of my voice, I wouldn't have to say anything. And I know people often have relationships like that with parents or spouses. She was my one. When, when people ask, who's that one person in your life? She was my one. Yeah. And uh, and then we had also, you know, been taking care of mom together. Right. Never right. thought I would be having to plan my mother's funeral and burying my mother without my sister. You know, yeah. we, we often talked about how we wanted to make things special when mom left this earth. and have to do that by myself um and i don't want anyone to feel sorry for me or you know have pity on me we, we all experience a lot of traumatic things in life but i would be lying if i said it wasn't hard you know, i've been through a lot i've been blessed in a lot of ways i've been through a lot yeah. but losing my sister and my mom so close um there's times where i really have to push through faith just to get up in the yeah it's, it's a gut punch and and i honor you so much uh, just for letting us into your heart the way that you have, because there's so many people who are feeling what you are feeling and are about to go through it through the holidays, right? Just oh a couple God. of weeks. Absolutely. And then just, you know, rest in peace to take off from Amigos you know, who died tragically. We see so many of our young people in urban communities dying, so many moms and dads and grandparents, you know, burying their children. We are a nation and a world that is grieving. There is collective grief that's happening right now. And not just in the community, mm. but there is a collective grief that's happening. And so we have to be able to have more empathy, not sympathy. We right. don't want people to feel sorry for us, but have a little empathy. Right. 
Right. Put yourself in my shoes, even if you've never experienced it. Just have a little bit more love, compassion, and empathy because it is some tough times. And look, at we've lost over a million people in the pandemic and we're still losing people to COVID. Even though we're technically out of the pandemic, people are still dying from COVID that have other comorbidities and that may not be well physically. So we got to give each other some grace and some space so that we can collectively heal. Yeah, listen, that's a good place to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Shanti's journey and her loved ones. I want to ask her about a mom because we heard about her sister, but we got to give mama some time. You know what I'm saying? We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Shanti Daz about the loss of her mom and sister and her dad, quite frankly. And um, Shanti, you should know that during the break, my main man Juan over here, we were giving you all kinds of compliments and all kinds of celebrations because you're the kind of guest that a host loves to talk to um, because you're, so, you're rich, you're real, you bring your heart, and you're a great communicator. But Juan asked a question that I was thinking the whole time you were talking, but this came from him. Here's what he asked me. Um, how is she even able to sit up straight? He couldn't imagine, like, how'd you put your lipstick on straight after all you've been through? So what is keeping you together? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that question and for those kind words. I alluded to it earlier. Um, I think I I'll say this much. When our dad died by suicide, my mother turned to her faith. Mm. So we grew up Christian. Um, and to me, you know, we, we grew up in a Catholic church, but it's not about religion. To me, it's about spirituality and your relationship with God. And so I've always known, right? um that i was a, a strong person of faith and, and a child and so that has really kept me going i will say when my sister died i did go to grief counseling mm. there's an organization called griefshare.org that does i think um like hybrid in person or virtual so that was really good for me i started talking to my pastor i, I utilized my village my village of love and support um, and I'm in therapy now. I got back into therapy once my mom passed because I just, um, it was too much. It was yeah. too much to deal with. Um, having to plan the funeral you know, pretty much by myself. Um, I did have other friends and family members that helped, but everything pretty much the onus was on me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we think about that, the, the, the superwoman, you know, notion, if you will especially amongst black women. And so there are times where I feel like I can do it all, but then there are times where I just curl up in my bed and I don't want to let open up the blinds and I don't want to get out. Um, mm. But I, I am a praying auntie and, and, and friend <laughs> and sister girl. And so that's what keeps me going. Um, Cause if I sit down and just dwell on all the negative, we haven't even scratched the surface of all that I've had to deal with in my life, you know, then I, 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 I wouldn't be able to function, but right. I do know that there is life after death. And, and also I, I look at signs, I'll see red cardinals or I'll see rainbows and I'll see butterflies. And, and I believe that those are somehow some special way of our loved ones saying that it's okay. And I'm still here with you. Mm, I love that. That was, that was actually quite beautiful. And I, but I'm glad to hear that you give yourself permission to have those moments oh. where you are not superwoman. Ugly cries and all. I just had an ugly cry this morning because, as I said, you know, this will be my first 
uh, birthday for my mom with her not being here. And I'm just, you know, I'm getting a little anxious and my anxiety's kicking in and I'm anticipating what the day will look like. For my mm. sister's birthday a few weeks ago, I, I had some balloons. She would have turned 60. So I got these really beautiful silver balloons and wrote happy 60th birthday. And I will tell you, you know, I've seen balloons when you let them go and they soar, but I swear they went up at least 20,000 feet. It was the most beautiful thing. So I want to do something special for my mom. So I just try to find ways to honor them. But when I need to cry and sit and just sit in front of the TV and watch Lifetime or Hallmark, I'll do just that. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned your mom again, because I want you to tell me about her. T tell me what you miss about her. Ooh, Gloria Dodge, she was a spitfire. My mother would tell you exactly what she felt. She would speak her mind. She was short in stature. I remember her telling me stories of her growing up during the Jim Crow era and, you know, getting on the bus in the South in Atlanta, Georgia, and they told her she had to sit in the back and she said, nope, I'm not. That was Gloria Doss. That's who she was. She risked her life to stand up for what she believed in for her people and for her community. And so I feel like I get a lot of my, you know, um, I don't know, assassins from my mom. And everybody tells me I look just like my mom, especially now um, as I age hopefully gracefully, um, but I, my body type is just like my mom, my mannerisms. Um, I share my love of like, I love antiquing and I love, you know, collecting jewelry and different kind of cool things. And I did all that kind of stuff. I went to the hair salon for the first time in the seventh grade with my mother. Um, so we had our rituals, getting our nails done, getting our hair done. Um, but we also could just sit and do nothing or take a walk or we went to church together a lot. Um, we spent some quality time together. I think the most thing I'm, the most I miss about her is just looking at me and that love, that mother's love. She ain't got to mm. say nothing, mm. but the adoration for her mm. child. And she would always like, just the look on my mom's face, she'd be like, that's my baby. Like I would walk into her facility, her memory care facility, because I told you she had Alzheimer's. And up until the week that my mom passed, her face would just light up. That's my baby. That's my baby. Mm. And I that. Uh, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> There's nothing like that, right? Mm -mm. And I've never had, I don't have kids, so I don't know that feeling, but I know what it feels like for a mother's love. And just the, the her, I mean, all the people that work there, they were like, child, she talks about you all the time. You are the love of her life. And I miss my mama. I just yeah. miss sitting there. I miss holding her hand. Even when yeah. she didn't speak, even when the Alzheimer's, you know, took a lot away from her. She knew her baby and we could just sit there and hold hands and all was right in the world. Yeah. Well, you're still her baby and you know that. That that has not changed at all. Um, in fact, the relationship is probably even stronger because she can be with you in more than one place. And so, um, yeah, you know, let, let's change gears a little bit because I want to I want to talk about our community and I want to sort of hedge toward that part of the discussion by asking this question. Did anybody ever teach you how to grieve when you were coming up? No, not at all. Thank you for that question. Uh, quite honestly, you know, growing up in African-American culture, we don't sh we didn't show our emotions a lot. Mm. Um, we didn't even talk about death that much. You know, we would go to the funeral, go to the service, the repast and all that good stuff. But outside of that, you know, we didn't show a lot of emotion. Uh, my mom grieved a lot at the house. 
but we didn't collectively talk about grieving as a family. So no, no one taught me how to grieve. It was my sister. And this is ironic. So my foundation, Silence to Shame, has a podcast. And we did a podcast episode in January of 2019. My sister died April of 2019. And guess what? It was on grief and loss. And Mm -hmm. so part of her um, studies in terms of her master's of counseling degree was studying and learning about grief. And she taught me on that episode a lot about grief. And so it, it was really interesting that it took me, you know, to become an adult and really learn about the stages of grief. There are five stages of grief. Um, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 1960s was the one who came out with the five stages of grief. And then since then, they've added uh, two additional stages of grief. And so, no, I really didn't learn about it more until I was an adult. And I think in the African-American community, we just kind of shy away from telling our secrets and telling our problems anyway. Nobody mm. really talk publicly about what's wrong and what's going on. And we'll grieve at the home, but we don't really show our emotions a lot in public. And that's, how uh, you might see me driving down the street at the grocery store and something will remind me of my mom and my sister. And I'll just start crying where, where I am. And people are like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, I'm just thinking about my mom and my sister. I'm fine. But what I've learned is that I have to lean into my grief, right? Mm. I cannot sit back and just, you know, uh, put my feelings away and be embarrassed in, in case, you know, I'm in a meeting or something and I'll just say, hey, I need a minute or let me step away for a minute, but I allow myself to cry because those tears are therapeutic. And so you have to be able to wash away those tears so that you can replenish and there's a rebirth every single day when you go through that process, I believe. But the worst thing you can do is keep your grief bottled up inside because that can manifest itself into stress and anxiety and other physical health issues as well. Yeah, no, that's rich. I think everything you just said is so helpful and instructive. And again, um, regrettably, you know this journey, not as an academic, not as someone studying at Harvard or Yale or Spelman, you know it from the inside. So you, so when you, when you talk, there's a moral authority to what you have to say about this. And Thank if, you. And it, it's something to be said when there's a lived experience perspective, that's right? right. Until right. you've been through it, until you walk through those shoes, you really don't understand it. That's right. That's right. So if the entire black community and brown community can hear you, what do we need to know as a community about grieving? What we need to do, um, what we need to know rather in the African-American community as it relates to grief is again, understand that grief is an individual journey, right? Don't allow people to tell you how to grieve or how long to grieve. I've seen different family members suffer the same loss. Some people get over it in a couple of weeks and are able to go back to work. Some people it's debilitating and they can't move. So figure out what you need to do for you, but get yourself a plan of action. Once you can kind of get through that first stage of shock, right? And denial and anger, which can take sometimes, you know, four to 12 weeks for some people, because it really took me eight weeks before I even started going to grief counseling. So think about grief counseling and understand that that is good. I will say that being around other people that had experienced similar losses really helped me a lot, right? So lean into going to grief counseling, understanding that therapy is what you make of it. If you Mm. decide to go to therapy, don't think that they're just going to fix you and they're just going to take that pain away from you, right? I don't feel like we ever truly get over the loss of our loved ones. What I tell people is, no, I'm not over the loss of my mom or my sister or even my dad for that matter. Mm. But what I do is I find pathways forward. 
And so I want our community to find pathways forward, not be embarrassed about therapy, not be embarrassed to go in the grief support group and sitting in a room of five to 10 people and being able to open up your heart and come from a place of love and compassion and empathy and realizing that there is, is actually something beautiful in community. When you commune with people that have experienced what you've gone through, there's something beautiful that comes out of it. So be vulnerable. Understand that vulnerability is a superpower. And when you're going through your grief, right during the grief stages, it allows you to be able to heal better. That's right. That's right. No, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, First, let me let me ask you this. Can you stick around? I want to keep you another second. Okay, good. Um, But let's do a little more heart stuff. And then when we come back from the break, I'm going to let your mind and your imagination take over. I got some questions that are going to take you there. But let's do some, just a little more heart stuff. If your mom and sister could hear you right now, what would you say to them? I love you, mom. I miss you more than anything. Hope that you're proud of me. No, I'm not married yet. Cause that's the one <laughs> thing that my mom asked me. This is your story. The day before she left this earth, she said, are you married yet? And that's the Alzheimer's asking, but she knew what she was asking. I said, no, mom, I'm not married yet. So I would tell them I love them. I miss them and I'm not married yet, but don't lose hope. <laughs> <There's always. laughs> listen, listen. Um, I love that. We're going to take this break. When we come back, there's some questions that require imagination and hope that I want to ask Shanti. And there's a reason because I don't want to leave this conversation in grief. I don't want to leave it in sadness. We got to come up, people. We about to rise right after this. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I, you guys know I love a rich, substantive, um, feeling conversation. And that's what this has been tonight. Um, Shanti Daz has allowed us to sit in her tears and listen to her heart. But she's also educated us and taught us how we can experience grief our own way and how we need to take this more seriously. Because one of the best things she said tonight is and has been that we are a world in grief, a nation that's caught up in grieving. So Shanti, let me ask you this. What has so much death taught you about life? Wow, that's a great question. So much death has taught me that tomorrow isn't promised Mm. and that every second counts. And that while we are here, we need to live life to the fullest. And I know we hear that a lot. It sounds like, you know, a cliche, but we really do have to like live every moment as if it's our last. If if the pandemic and these last, I would say five to 10 years, just with so much has, that has gone on from a racial injustice perspective and climate change and natural disasters and pandemics and epidemics. And it's taught us that tomorrow's not promised, right? And, and losing our loved ones and having to deal with this collective grief, it's tough, but mm. it's also, to get up and, and understand that we're blessed to see another day and that our loved ones, you know, they, they, they understand that we miss them and I'm sure they miss us too on the other side, but they do want us to continue living and to mm. continue living out these days as best as we can um, because tomorrow is not promised and every day is a true gift from the universe, from God, whoever you believe in, right? Whatever your faith or background or choices or whatever, your higher power, higher being, just know that we have to take advantage of this time here and we have to try to do our best to get through this grief process, but to find a way to continue living. 
Yeah, no, that's rich. That's so, that's so good and so impactful. I know that you have an organization that you are spearheading and leading. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, so I, I, I mentioned earlier that my sister helped me when I was um, having suicidal ideation, strong suicidal ideation in 2015. And so once I got the help that I needed um, between her and also my pastor, uh, Dr. Warnock, who's also Senator Warnock. Um, oh, I know Raphael. Yeah, he is my spiritual coach and uh, definitely supporting him. Um, with the Tell him you were on the show and, and he'll be like, oh, yeah, it's Sean. <laughs> and he told me, he said, you got to get the help that you needed. And so once I went to the doctor and got the help that I needed, I started uh, open, uh, opening up on social media and really just sharing my journey with peers um, and colleagues in the music industry because I'm a former music industry executive. And it really kind of caught on and Silence for Shame was just a hashtag in the beginning. And so I started bringing up some volunteers and other women that had, ex- had you know, similar shared experiences as myself, a mental health journey, um, either within themselves or with a loved one and started doing conversations in Atlanta and then it caught on. So I formed the foundation and now we have six employees and we do a lot of work in Atlanta and nationally. We have a national podcast. We do community conversations. We do workplace wellness training. We partnered with the NFL Players Association. Um, just we're partnering with Microsoft now. Um, just a lot of different things that are going on. But we're still a very small organization. We like the little engine that could, you know. So we're still trying to get funding and get some of these big grant opportunities so we can continue to go out there and help vulnerable populations and empower our communities to seek help and know that therapy is okay. I, I think since the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people understanding that therapy is actually okay and opening up. We wanna make sure that people are following suit and actually booking those sessions and getting the help that they need and really being able to love on our, our kids and really be able to, to try to give them healthy ways to cope. Maybe that will help curtail some of the violence that we're seeing in a lot of our, our urban communities. Um, Cause I just think a lot of our young kids don't have healthy ways of coping nowadays. And they're yeah. turning to violence um, without really having an understanding of conflict resolution and, and an understanding of love for themselves and, and, and understanding that it's okay to talk to someone if something is wrong and that you don't have to go off on somebody else. You can actually talk it through and get some help. And so uh, I love the work that we do. I love my team. Shout out to my sponsors staff. Couldn't do it without them. And we're just trying to empower and educate the community so that they can, you know, have a he- healthy mind and a healthy life. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're engaging in this work and I'm glad you've taken your experiences and institutionalized those emotions in a way that will help people confront with their feeling as well. So I want to do this with you before I let you go, okay? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some statements and I just want you to respond to them, okay? So, okay. and I'm going to frame them in this way. Um, if I said to you that love never dies, what would you say? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I feel like, yes, love never dies. And it's also, you know, what you make of it. You know, love is about, I feel like you get back what you put out into the universe, right? So if you keep putting love out into the universe, that love within your heart and in your circle of community will never die. So if I said to you that each day, you honor your father, your mother, and your sister with your choices, what would you say? I honor my mother, my father, and my sister each day 
by being able to wake up every day and making them proud and being able to really pour back into the community and help others because that's what it's about. Um, my mom, you know, served the homeless community years ago when we were little. And so I honor them by helping others. So if, if I said that um, somehow you will see them all again, what would you say? Oh, I do, because I believe in heaven. I believe there is life after death. Uh, again, not to impose my faith on anyone, but I believe Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could have everlasting life. So Mama, Marie, Dad, I will see you one day. Hopefully not too soon, but I will see you. <laughs> so here's my last one. So if I said that you have some joy coming and it's coming sooner than you think it is, what would you say? I would say joy comes in the morning. So when I wake up, Sean, I'm gonna be happy and smiling to see another day because tomorrow ain't promised. Yeah, I, you know, I believe that. I believe that you have some joy coming and that what you have sown in sorrow, you're about to reap in joy, right? The scripture says, I'll give you beauty for ashes, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I think that you have, you have suffered and you have been through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, but your creator, your, your maker, your redeemer has been with you all the way. And yeah. you come on this show tonight, Juan asked the question, how were you able to even sit up straight? You know, you are a beautiful, smart, powerful woman. And the amazing thing about you, Shanti, is that none of that has been diminished because of what you've been through. Um, there's a great line at the end of Song of Solomon with Toni Morrison's book where the mother breaks into the church and she says, and she was loved and she was loved. And the more I talk to you, I hear your mother saying to me, yeah, Dr. Sean, you can talk to her, but here's what you need to know. And she is loved. Thank you for that. Lord have mercy. Let me let me let you go before we both start crying. Shanti, thank you for being here. It's okay, I'm a Pisces, y'all. I, I cry all the time. It's okay. Thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank no, you so much. It's my pleasure. Listen, everybody, I have um, some Ask Dr. Sean, maybe an aha moment when we come back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So let's do some aha moments. Highly play the bumper, man. So that was a wonderful conversation on so many levels, not the least of which is the fact that most of us, if you live long enough, you're going to be where she is. We're all going to lose somebody eventually. One of the things in my aha moment, rather, from this conversation was her being able to tell us that as a community, we don't talk about this enough. We don't share our feelings enough. So here's my question to you. Who do you have in your life with whom you can share your feelings, your joys, your sorrows, your grief, your whatever? Because if you don't have that, if everybody just wants to snap their fingers and shake their behind with you and order drinks and go out with you, if that's all they want, then you don't have enough of the right people in your life. Got to have somebody with whom you can bear your soul and give your heart, because without that, mm -mm. 
That's not a good life. I don't care how many parties you go to or clubs you inhabit or all of that. No, a good life is knowing you can tell somebody the real truth about how you feel and know that they will love you and support you anyway. That's a good life. All right, Harley, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the bumper, man. So, um, I can't thank you enough for the videos you guys send me, the emails and the direct messages. I'm always grateful. You always send amazing questions, and here's one right here. Hey, Dr. Sean, I'm Zach Kirk. I need some advice. I have a friend. I just want to, you know, know what are some tips for someone to get out of like a victimhood mindset where everything is always someone else's fault? Mm, that's a more complicated question than you might imagine because people won't change until they want to. People don't engage in transformation until they're ready to be transformed. The only thing I think you can do with someone like that is to keep putting before them the fact that they are not special. Life is, here's what I mean, that life is not uniquely trying to undermine them. Everybody struggles, everybody cries, everybody suffers, everybody goes through it. And you are not a victim and has some special category where you are the person who's the object of all of life's ills and indiscriminate pains. No, 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 no. I think when a person starts to go down that road, you have to remind them that they ain't the only one suffering. And more than that, I think it's always healthy to confront people with the possibility that just cataloging their complaints is not a good way to live. The best way to live is to be able to say in the midst of it all, yeah, it hurts and yeah, it's happening. Yeah, this person did that, but I'm committed to what my future might be. You see, you're never gonna get this person to change until they're ready. And sometimes we have to help people become ready by telling them how they sound. See, that's not easy and you might lose your friend, but in losing your friend, that person might gain a better version of themselves, so it might be worth it. Tell her how or tell him how they sound. Let them hear it and see if it will do the work that you're hoping they embrace one day. All right, somebody sent me this question. Let me read it. Recently, I went to dinner with a guy that I met on a dating app. When the bill came, he asked me to pay for my half. Should I have been offended? Well, the answer to that, from my perspective anyway, is yes. If you ask me out on a date, then you should be paying for it. And if you want me to pay, then you should let me know before the bill comes. In fact, you should let me know before we get into the restaurant. I don't think people should assume that the other person functions by any of the rules that happen to apply to dating. Be upfront and say what it is you are expecting and what you want to happen with respect, not just to the bill, because somebody who can't give you the information you need about the bill might not be able to give you the information you need about their past, huh? Or about what they're doing at three o'clock in the morning. I'm just saying. I think you should be a little offended, not just because the person wanted you to play half the bill. That ain't, that, that's not a big deal. 
you should be offended because they were not man enough or adult enough or grown enough to have that conversation with you before you sat down at the table because grown folks are going to cover those things before we even get to the restaurant. And we're going to have communication and understanding and agreement. You see, you want someone who will empower you with information and leave it to you to make the choice and the choices that bring beauty and joy to your life. So more than just being offended, you might want to move on. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be right back with Here's What Doesn't Make Sense right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So I love this new segment because it gives me and all of us an opportunity to think about some things going on in the world that's absolutely nonsensical. And if you're paying attention, there's a lot going on in the world that's nonsensical. So here's what don't make sense. So did you know that a cemetery for uh, enslaved Africans in Richmond, Virginia, check this out, was callously paved over to build a highway and to put a gas station in? You heard me. A woman by the name of Laura McQueen set out to solve the mystery of what happened to her ancestors' final resting place, and she discovered that the African burial ground which is adjacent to two uh, well-preserved cemeteries, white cemeteries, which includes Supreme Court Justice John Marshall, Confederate veterans, um, that the African cemetery has been completely paved over as if nobody was buried there and whomever was buried there was of so little consequence that they paved it over and put a gas station on top of it. Yes, the African burial ground has literally, has literally been put underneath an abandoned gas station, a highway overpass, and check this out, some railroad tracks. Historians believe that the Shock Coal Hill burial ground might be the largest cemetery containing the remains of free Africans and enslaved Africans in the country. And this is how America decided to treat their remains. A gas station, railroad tracks, and an overpass. And I guess at this point I should be saying how this doesn't make sense. But the reality is it does. Because why would a country who didn't treat Africans the right way when they were alive, now all of a sudden treat them with respect now that they're departed and dead. It makes absolute sense in a strange, sad, tragic, and ironic way that this would be the result of America's malignant, no, yeah, it's malignant indifference to black life, black suffering, and the history of our people in this country that the nation would say, preserve the white cemeteries, but pave over the black ones. Because after all, they were nothing more than enslaved people. You know, one of the things that this country is gonna have to figure out is whether or not it has the moral 
um, wherewithal to correct his mistakes. So I'll end this by saying to the people of Richmond, Virginia, and the people of Virginia writ large, what are y'all going to do about this? Because the past is the past, and maybe you didn't know that you were paving over the final resting place of formerly enslaved African people who suffered and died in this country. Maybe you didn't know, but you know now. So what are you going to do? And I'm hoping the people of Richmond, Virginia, even though it is and was the capital of the Confederacy, I'm hoping that you can shake off the silliness of your own history and do right by these remains. I'm hopeful, but I'm not delusional, but we'll see. All right, lastly, did you guys hear that uh, two men who were wrongly convicted of the assassination of Malcolm X have been awarded $36 million. Yes, I'm so glad to hear that New York City will pay um, $26 million to Mohammed Aziz and the estate of Khalil Islam, who died in 2009. And of course, the, the payment will compensate for their wrongful imprisonment um, for the uh, errant wrong murder convictions that happened in 1966. The state of New York will also agree to pay $5 million to each of these men and their estates and families. Um, and if you haven't watched the documentary about the assassination of Malcolm X on Netflix, you should watch it as soon as you possibly can. Because I had the guy who did the documentary on my show with a panel, we talked about Brother Malcolm, and it's clear from that documentary and clear from that show, go back in the archives and watch the book of Sean when, when he was on, that these two brothers didn't do it. They did not have anything to do with the murder, the assassination of Malcolm X. But here's what doesn't make sense. Why did it take a documentary which showed that all the evidence to exonerate this man was already in the public record. Why did it take this long for them to be exonerated and compensated? And why did some random guy who's not a scholar, not in law enforcement, who is a tour director in DC, why did it take him to care enough to put the dots together so that we could know who had killed Brother Malcolm. Why didn't we care more about who actually killed Malcolm? That's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what the answer is, but here's what I know for sure. I'm glad that these men suffered in jail, or at least in the case of one of them being compensated and the other, their families receiving some some recompense. You know, it's amazing to me because this country will let innocent people languish in jail right after it kills men like Malcolm X. The tragedy of Malcolm X is that white people didn't have anything to do with it. Black folks killed Malcolm. It shows that we are as problematic and as great as everybody else. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Thank you for being a part of this. And remember, talk about how you feel. Your grief is important and your journey is unique. 
I'll see you next time. And when we gather, make sure we do it in love. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other, beloved. And I love you. Huh? And ain't nothing you can do about it. How about that? One! Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.